Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Hope Church family. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Mark chapter three. As you're turning there, my name is Scott. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And as you're opening to Mark three, I wanna draw your attention, bring you down memory lane, if you will, to back when you were in elementary school. That was too long ago, I heard somebody say. I don't know how long ago that was for you, but I'm convinced that the, pre- or the, the elementary school playground during recess is a place where either children's confidence is built up or completely squashed. Specifically, if you'll remember, when kids are going to play a game. Say, for instance, they're gonna start a, a pickup game of football. You guys remember how it goes? The two most popular or most athletic people are chosen as captains. And then that faithful moment where everyone lines up on a single file line and these guys take turns picking their team. Now, I don't know how that went for you, but that was not a good moment for me growing up. I've told you before, if you're new to Hope, you'll hear this over the years, but I was very, 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 very vertically challenged as a child. It was tiny. Give you a little box to put it in. I was four foot, 11 inches tall and 85 pounds going into my sophomore year of high school. Praise God. Thank you for your sympathy many years later. I hated those moments, sitting there, head down, knowing I was going to be chosen last. I was going down memory lane today and I had my mom actually send me a picture back at basic high school. I was on the JV team here. We all signed the picture because we thought we'd be famous one day. And these look like normal 14 and 15 year old boys and you got this little dude over here. (laughs) Looks like he's the bat boy, which I was. I sat the bench real well. And this is me. I mean, this is like, I hated those moments where the teams were chosen. And I I, I take you back there this morning because although that crushed my soul throughout junior high or elementary school and junior high, ultimately, I'm not thinking much about that today. I'm not thinking much about that team or those teams that were chosen. But what we are going to see out of the Gospel of Mark today is so much more significant of a choosing of a team. I would submit to you that the, the pickup games on the, on the playground at recess are not that important, but the people, the leaders that would ultimately carry the mantle of the kingdom of God after Jesus was killed and resurrected and went to heaven and sent his spirit, that team really, really matters. 
And we're gonna see in, in the gospel of Mark today, if you're new, we are studying verse by verse through Mark's account of the life of Jesus. We've made it all the way now to chapter three. We got a couple more weeks left before we end chapter three. But last week, to catch you up to the story, Pastor Ricky Harris did a phenomenal job talking about Jesus speaking in front of the crowds. If you remember last week, we talked about hundreds and thousands of people that gathered around Jesus and they, they actually missed the miracle in their midst. They were actually there just for what he could do for them, not actually listening to the message and how he could change them. If you missed last week's message, highly encourage you, go back and listen. But I, I wanna start with the crowd because I believe we can learn something from them. The crowd was there to, to not experience the message of life change, but to experience some, some miracles, some, some random, inconsistent experiences with Jesus. I can imagine the people that were just popping in for moments with Jesus what, might go back to their homes each day and, and not necessarily talk about all the incredible things that they saw. Maybe because they were not there for the, the life-changing message, they would actually have an inconsistent, mediocre view of Jesus. I just pop in and pop out, but I'm not sure my life has been changed. And I think if we're honest, that's where a lot of us live within our Christian experience. A lot of us here, from this stage, from radio, from, from books we may be reading or friends may be reading that, that a, a relationship with Jesus is life-changing, the best decision you could ever make. And I agree with that. But if we're honest, a lot of times that is not consistent with our experience. You're saying, man, I actually get way more excited about other areas of my life than I do about my relationship with Jesus. So how can we avoid this? I wanna put a question on the screen that I wanna kinda of unpack this weekend. How can we avoid living inconsistent, mediocre Christian lives? I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but many of you would say, that's kinda of what I live. Like the crowd, I, I pop in and pop out of Christian experiences, but if I were to characterize my Christian life, it's, it's kinda of inconsistent. It's kind of mediocre. And I don't understand what people are talking about when they talk about a revolutionary, life-changing relationship. I wanna put it in a, in a positive light for us. This is what I wanna unpack for the remainder of our message. How can we enjoy living an inspiring and extraordinarily fulfilling life as a follower of Jesus? And I know that's like idealistic and epic. But I believe with my whole heart, that if you and I get the principles in us that Jesus is going to teach us, we will live an inspiring and extraordinary, fulfilling life as a follower of Jesus. That's why this is such a big deal. I believe with my whole heart a statement I wanna put on the screen here, that there is a way for you and I to daily experience the presence of God in your life, the power of God through your life, and the authority of God Almighty put on display in your life. And I don't know if you're there yet. <laughs> if you're like, yeah, man, I'm just trying to clock in, clock out, do what I can. Maybe one day when I get to heaven, I'll see how it goes. Listen, that's what the crowd thought. If I could just get a moment with Jesus, 
But we're going to learn today that there is something we can be a part of that I believe will, will help us to daily experience the presence of God, the power of God, and the authority of God Almighty put on display in our lives. And so let's look at the passage of Scripture we're going to study this weekend. Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13 and read to verse 19. Here's what God's word says. After that whole scene with the crowd, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, who he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave, name, he gave the name Boanerges. There's a great Bible word, Boanerges. That is the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. I want to look at this passage of scripture and I wanna ask and answer three questions this morning. Here's the first question. Who does Jesus call? Who does Jesus call? It says there in this passage at the very beginning in verse 13, he calls those whom he desired. Now we gotta go back. Always wanna preach the Bible in context here at Hope Church. We gotta go back to the first century and you have to understand in this, in this context, in this time, that the people that wanted to learn under a rabbi like Jesus, they would have to seek out the rabbi. It's very important. Like, it's almost like how students now have to seek out where they're going to go to college. There's a whole process. You gotta seek out who, where you wanna go to school and you have to put some, some applications in. You have to write some essays and you have to go through a whole process hoping just maybe you might get the answer you are looking for. That's how students used to find rabbis. They would seek out whom they wanted and they would put in applications, if you will, and they would really hope that they could study under this rabbi. But Jesus does something completely opposite here in this passage. See, this rabbi doesn't wait to be sought out. This rabbi doesn't look through applications. This rabbi actually seeks out whom he wanted. And I would submit to you today, Hope Church, he still does. See, religion says, there's a lot of people that come in here and think this is a religious experience. And here's what religion says, exactly like the people used to do for rabbis, that you would have to seek out your path to God. Religion says, do all your homework and figure out the best path to God. And hopefully, just maybe, you'll get the answer you want at the end of your life. That's what religion says. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you could never find God. None of your experience or your skill or your charisma or all of your application process, you and I as human beings could never find God. So the gospel of Jesus says you couldn't find God, so God came and found you. And that's what Jesus does. Here, listen, if you are a Christian, it is not because of your skill. It is not because of your morality. It is not because of anything you brought to the table. It is simply because God sought you out. 
I've prayed. Amen. I have prayed and prayed this week that for the next several minutes as we unpack this idea that it would be a warm blanket to somebody's soul this morning. Comfort. I listened to a podcast this week where a man wrestled with depression for years and years and years. And when he finally understood the doctrine we're gonna talk about today, it was like, it was like a veil was lifted and he realized God wanted me. This idea of, of God's sovereignty and salvation. This is a very, very good thing. I don't know where you're living today, Hope Church, but, but your life, every single moment of it has passed through the hands of a good and loving and holy and sovereign God. Your life has been designed and planned not by some far off God who's uninterested in you, but by a sovereign, loving God. If you are a follower of Jesus today, hear this. God set his heart on you before the foundation of the world. And no matter how you feel today, he said, that one right there, that one's mine. That's my child. You say, show me where that is in the Bible. My favorite verse in all the scripture. I can't wait to tell you. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And here's the best part. This is not your own doing, it is a gift from God. Here's how a lot of people read this, and this is important. They think it's grace that you have been saved, but here's the deal, you gotta make sure you figure out how to muster up the faith. God, all right, I got all my faith, I got it all, I've really worked hard on my faith now, will you please give me some grace, here's the deal. The gift is not just the grace, the gift is the grace and the faith. Nothing you have is good enough to get you to God. So God in all his goodness came to get you. He gives you grace and he gives you faith to believe. That's why I love the, the old Puritan pastor, Jonathan Edwards, said it like this. The only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Even if you did all your homework, even if you sat down and, and thought, I wanna find the world religion through a series of formulas and study that gives me the, the best explanation of the meaning of life, and you came to the conclusion that it was Jesus, here's what I'm gonna tell you. You didn't come to that conclusion. By his grace, he revealed himself to you. Listen, I, we just prayed at our prayer time, Pastor Trenton led us so well, hands all over the room, man, I'm afflicted. Listen. You may be feeling unwanted today. You may be feeling undesired. Everything in your life may be falling apart and you think, is it just hopeless? I want you to hear from God's word, follower of Jesus, the God of heaven, the creator of the cosmos, God Almighty himself, the sovereign king of all creation, wanted you and he sought you out and he revealed himself to you. It is not hopeless. Press into the reality, no matter how you feel. Man, God desired me. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. Of course God does not consider you hopeless. If he did, he would not be moving you to seek him. And he obviously is. Continue seeking him with seriousness. Unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. Let that be real for you today, follower of Jesus. Let that be a warm blanket 
to your soul. He calls whom he wants. And it says he appointed 12 who he also named apostles. This word appointed is very important. It is not like a political office where he said, okay, I'm going to put you in position. This word in the original language, appointed, is actually a word that means make or create. And this is good news for us because it's showing when he appointed the apostles, when he appointed these men, they were not all they would be when Jesus was done with them. He was in the process of making them who they would be when he was done with them. And the same is true for us. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, praise God, the gospel says Jesus is not done with you. Regardless of where you are on the journey, he is appointing you and making you all that he wants you to be. Jesus is on the ground here calling people whom he wants. He is choosing his team and he sets these men apart. And these men would literally change the world. In fact, I love to, to draw our attention back every time we talk about the 12 disciples. You are here today in this room because of this moment on the mountainside. Jesus calls these men, appoints these men, and is in, for the next several years going to pour into their lives. And then after he dies and is resurrected, he's going to send his spirit to empower them. And they are going to literally flip the world upside down with the good news of the gospel. And a couple thousand years later, now you stumbled into church to hear about it. This is the story of God's grace. And I want us to think about if you were gonna choose a team, back to the playground, I'm the guy getting chosen last, and if I am, the, if I am Jesus, I'm choosing the disciples last. They are the least qualified people to do what I am expecting to do. And I want you to think about, if I was choosing a team to start a movement that would change the world, who would I choose? I would probably choose somebody like the Pharisees and they get a really bad reputation. But the Pharisees are people that had all of the knowledge and the power of the day. If you were to be in a relationship with a Pharisee, they had everything in their minds. They had such knowledge and such power. If I was gonna start a movement, I'd want some people with some knowledge and some power. Or maybe I would choose another group of people called the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? It's another religious sect of people that they had a lot of money and a lot of political pull. Okay, now I'm getting somewhere. If I'm starting a movement, I want knowledge, power, money, and political pull. Then I could start my movement. And Jesus does the exact opposite. He seeks out people that didn't contribute much to society at all. I love the phrase you may have heard that Jesus doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So then he gets the glory and not the gifts of the people that are trying to steal his glory. And so Jesus calls these, these no names to do the unimaginable. Chuck Swindoll said it like this. Jesus selected 12 ordinary average men. None came with impressive credentials. They were Galileans, many of them fishermen, most from the area surrounding Capernaum. That's to say they are not from the right part of town. They were literate and well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures thanks to the synagogue. But none of them could be called a scholar. By the end of their training under Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit, however, these ordinary disciples became extraordinary apostles. And here's what I want us to see. Jesus is still doing this. Don't read the Bible in a sanitized way. If I could just have that kind of power, you do, you do. I wanna put it on the screen like this. Jesus desires 
to take ordinary people and by his grace do extraordinary things. So back to our question. How can we enjoy living an inspiring and extraordinarily fulfilling life as a follower of Jesus? The first step is by realizing, Hope Church, that a sovereign, good, holy God sought you out and chose you to be a part of his family. And not only that, he has promised that he is in the process of making you what you are currently not by his grace. And you ask the question, what more could you want? That God Almighty called you to himself and is in the process of making you more and more like himself. What more could you want to live an inspiring and an extraordinarily fulfilling life? And then Mark starts to name all these disciples. And this isn't gonna be on the screen, but I wanna call your attention to who Jesus would make these men be. Wavering, inconsistent Simon became Peter, the rock. John and James became the, the sons of thunder. I don't know about you, but that's the name I want in the Bible. <laughs> the sons of thunder, like a superhero. Anonymous, average Andrew became the patron, patron saint of three nations. Thomas, the skeptic, became a tenacious man of faith. Simon, a radical religious zealot, became passionate about Jesus and not religion. And a despised tax collector named Levi or Matthew would become the writer of the first book of the New Testament. And listen, I don't know what your story is, but whatever it is, he is making you become something that you're currently not by his grace. I look at my life, Scott Worthington, the punk rock loving skateboarder kid from old Henderson who was on his own way and his own path by grace. I was sought out by a good and loving father and now I'm being made what I'm not by his grace. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. So embrace this reality that he calls the people he desires because he loves you. And he set, his, he set that love on you before the foundation of the world. Whatever your story is, God is moving. So that's who he calls. And here's the second question for our time together today. What does he call them to? What does he call them to? It says there in verse 14. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. We plan out our teaching calendar about a year in advance. And when we planned out the third chapter of Mark, we did not realize that this passage of scripture would actually fall on our 21st anniversary as a church family. And I see some faces here that have been here for a long time, or maybe you're here today for the very first time, but you have to know we are standing in the midst of a miracle that started 21 years ago in our founding pastor Vance's living room. 18 adults gathered to, to lift up the name of Jesus and to preach the scriptures. And these verses right here have become a foundational part of that miracle. What we're about to unpack today on our 21st birthday is extremely significant. So whether you've been here for a very long time or whether you're here for the first time, I wanna encourage you to lean into the very significant yet simple reality that we are about to unpack out of verse 14. It says that he called them so that they may be with him. That word, so that's always important. It's basically saying, if you're wondering why, I'm telling you why. So why did he call them to himself? So that they might 
be with him. What we're about to unpack is the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. Because many people think that that the invitation to follow Jesus is is an invitation to to figure out some rules, some do's and some don'ts. So if I, I wanna follow Jesus, I gotta make sure I do the do's and don't the don'ts. But that's not what he's inviting them into here. He's not inviting them into uh, getting involved in church. He didn't say, I've called you to myself to give you an outline and a schedule of when you're supposed to go to the synagogue. He didn't invite them to a list of moral activities. Many of us think following Jesus are these things. He didn't even invite them to go to heaven when they die. That's not what Jesus says here. What we're unpacking here is is an invitation, not to a list of things, not to a standard, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, how can we enjoy an inspiring and extraordinarily fulfilling life as a follower of Jesus? Pause for just a moment. We talked about the bigness of God his sovereignty in salvation. But this is an amazing reality that that God has called you to be with him. I I, I tell my kids, it's a friendship with God. And we've heard that maybe, we sat in church, but like think about how massive of a deal that is. God invites little old you and little old me to a friendship, not to a relationship, or not to a religion, but to a relationship, not to a list of do's and don'ts. And to understand this more, I wanna put a question on the screen I want you to try to answer for yourself in your heart. What is the purpose of the Christian life? It's a pretty simple question that we should probably know the answer to if we're trying to follow Jesus. What is the purpose of the Christian life? Some say the purpose of the Christian life is to live for God. That sounds admirable. Uh, The purpose of this whole thing is to live for God. Other people say, well, it's it's to obey God. I I wanna obey God and what he says. But notice our verse doesn't say he called them so that they could live for him. The verse doesn't say in verse 14 that that he called them so that they might obey him. Those are amazing things, but he calls them not to a religion, but to a relationship. He calls them so that they might be with him. This is a simple but significant reality. The purpose of my life is not to do something for Jesus. The purpose of my life is to be with Jesus. Jesus. The purpose is the relationship. Does that, of course, there's going to be fruit out of that relationship. Just like every relationship in our lives, things are byproducts of that relationship. But the whole purpose is the love relationship. I'll, I'll try to illustrate it like this. My wife and I, Candace, have been married for 14 years in November. 14 years in November, and, and, and I did not marry my wife for a different tax status. <laughs> Praise God, we were 21 years old. <laughs> we didn't even know what tax status was. <laughs> I did not marry my wife to, to have kids with somebody. Well, I need to have kids with somebody. Let me marry this one. <laughs> that sounds crazy. I didn't marry my wife so that I wouldn't have to sit alone at restaurants my whole life. 
I grew up and I, I did not know how to cook. I didn't learn how to cook. I, I, all I can really cook is a mean box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. That's about it. So I didn't marry my wife so that I could find somebody who could fill my deficiency in the kitchen, although she does that extremely well. Listen, that sounds crazy, but I married my wife because I love her. All that other stuff are the fruit of that relationship. All of the other stuff is because out of, out of the love relationship we have, we get to enjoy those things. And so many people focus on the fruit of a relationship that they actually end up missing the whole relationship altogether. And it happens all the time around the world with Christians. They're so busy doing for God. I'm at church. I mean, don't even listen. Man, I come to church. Bah, 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 bah. I got Bible studies. I got this, that, and the other. And all the while, they're completely missing the entire point, which is to be with Jesus. Later on in the story of Jesus, he's talking to his father about eternal life. A lot of us hear eternal life and we think, well, after we die, heaven or hell, eternal life. But watch how Jesus talks about eternal life in John 17, three. And this is eternal life, that they know you. That right there is like worth the price of admission for whoever needs to hear that today. Eternal life is not a destination, it's a person. Eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Again, because this is so significant, because there's so many people who are caught up, even with the term Christian, they're caught up in religion. I wanna drill down on this for just a couple more moments. I'm gonna give us two aspects of the Christian life. This will hopefully help you untangle some of this religion. Two aspects of the Christian life. Here's the first one, the ultimate purpose. Jesus just said it. What's the ultimate purpose of the Christian life? To know God. And that's meta and big, to know God. So how do you daily experience that? Well, the daily practice of this, to spend time with God. See, as Christians, we want more than that. I mean, come on, Scott, you're just like, you're gonna tell me to just read my Bible? I'm telling you to be with Jesus. I'm telling you the, the best way to experience all the fruit of a relationship with Jesus is to actually enjoy the relationship with Jesus. This term be with in our, in our verse, in verse 14, is, it's a term that literally means time with, fellowship, devotion. Doesn't mean activity. It means time with. So our daily practice as followers of Jesus as we seek to be with him is to spend time in his presence. This is what he calls them to, to be with him. But there's a third question. We've seen who he calls. We've seen what he calls them to. Here's the third question. What does Jesus do? This is important. Verse 14, the second part of it. After he calls them to be with him and he might send them out to preach. See, we flip that a lot of times. I'm gonna go preach and maybe if I have time, I'll be with Jesus. Jesus says, your call, your responsibility is to be with me. Let me handle the fruit. Let me handle what gets pressed out through your life. The fruit comes from what he does as we are just being with him. 
This word send literally means to send on a mission. To preach means to make public. To go out by his power. After we've been filled up with time with him daily, that's when you have power in your cubicle. That's when you have power in your home, moms and dads. It's not when you muster it up on your own, but as you're simply much with Jesus, you and I can have the power and the grace to actually live it out in the personal relationships that we have. This is the difference and so many things that Christians miss. He accomplishes the mission. You simply be with him. And so we boil this down at Hope Church and have for 21 years to a very simple but profound statement. Here it is. Everything Jesus desires to do through you, he will accomplish out of the overflow of his relationship with you. It is a very simple concept, yet profound, and actually will answer the question we posed in the beginning. You want to know how to experience an inspiring and extraordinarily fulfilling life? You want to know how to do that? It's not by filling your calendar with Christian things. It's by being with Jesus and letting him bubble over into your life in every single area. You be with Jesus, he bears the fruit. As the disciples were with Jesus, here's the last part of our passage. What did they do? They left and were sent out and look at this verse 15. And they had authority to cast out demons. Remember who these men were. They were fishermen without a big reputation. And sure, they had some knowledge because of of the synagogue, but these are just ordinary dudes. And as they were with Jesus, the fruit of that was he gave them spiritual authority. So as we close, I believe and hopefully you see now by the simple practice of being with Jesus that there is a way to daily experience the presence of God in your life the power of God through your life and the authority of God Almighty put on display in your life. You say, man, I want that. I got that. How do I do it? Be with Jesus. And again, I'm a doer. (laughs) Like my personality, I'm like, you gotta give me more than that. But I want you to think about something. What for you, and I know for me, is the most attacked thing in my day? (laughs) Not my Christian activity. It's just simply time with God. You wanna know the thing that the enemy attacks the most in my life? It's not what I do here at church. Because this is a bunch of Christian activity left to myself would produce nothing. But it's my daily time before the kids wake up, before my heart has a chance to go and pursue all the things I know it will to say, God, I wanna be with you and I understand anything that you'll do in my life is not out of the overflow of my strengths, God help me. It's out of the overflow of what you wanna do in my life. Love a quote that I heard, I don't know who said it, but it says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And so many Christians are so busy that they miss the essential practice of being with Jesus. And Jesus is still calling disciples. He's still inviting people to be with him. But there's an important aspect that I wanna end on. 
put that verse on the, back on the screen, verse 14, so that they might be with him. This is important. This phrase in the original language, it actually puts the ball in your court and my court in the sense of we are not robots. God will not make you get up every day and say, it's time, get in line, spend time with me. That's why it says that they might. He's gonna call who he desires, but they might be with him in the sense of you and I have a choice every single day. Do we understand the power that comes from spending time with God? And will we submit to the holy king of heaven and be with him? He will not make you. But here's what I'm here to tell you. Right now, in real time, you and I have the invitation of a lifetime to be with God. That's the story of the gospel. I could not have said that if Jesus didn't step in because left to ourselves, you and I were hopeless. I feel like lately, because of the world we live in, it doesn't take much to convince people of the sin in the world even of your own self. You know the things that are in you. You and I are sinners left to ourselves. We are hopeless and helpless. And Jesus could have, because he's holy and good, left us to ourselves, but he didn't. And that's the story that we celebrate here and we sing about here and we are all about here at Hope Church. It's the story of the gospel that Jesus saw us in our desperate state and God became a man and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life, the life that we failed to live. He lived for us. He was put on a cross and he died. And the Bible says that the sin of all humanity, your sin, my sin, the sins that bother you and your family and your workplace, the sin of all humanity was put on Jesus on the cross. Three days later, he rose again to defeat death and hell and show that he had victory and he accomplished what he came to do. And now, because of that, he stands ready with an invitation of a lifetime. And I have to believe there are some people here, just like on Thursday night, we stood to sing at the response and a lady came down and said, for three weeks, for three weeks, I've been sitting and I've been hearing the gospel and I know it was for me and I just, I was held by my own sin and my own fear, but tonight I wanna accept Jesus and I wanna start a relationship with him. Praise God. And here's what I want you to see. That lady, she just had her eyes open to what God had done before the foundation of the world in her life. And I believe there's some people here today that God has set his heart on you and today's the day the light turns on and you realize I have a God who has loved me before the beginning of creation. Before I was me, he loved me. Let that bake your noodle. <laughs> that's God and that's his sovereignty and today some of you need to experience that. You're not a Christian today. I want to invite you to experience the power of God in your life, to have a friendship with him. For others of you who are believers, my question for you is simple. Are you spending time being with Jesus? Every single day, you and I have an opportunity to set the alarm a few minutes early, to get our Bibles open and say, God, I wanna experience your, 
your presence today. I wanna experience your power. I wanna experience your spiritual authority that you've given me. But the only way I do that is as as I'm just with you, as I spend time with you. Maybe today you're like, I don't really know how to begin spending time with Jesus. I wanna encourage you, if that's you, come see us at guest services. We'd love to get a devotional to you. Maybe you're like, "I, I want to learn how to spend time with God. We wanna help you. It's part of what we do here at Hope, help you spend time with God because that's his call on your life. That's the purpose, that you would be with him. Everything else is just the icing on the cake. And he does it. So in just a few moments, we're gonna have pastors up here. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you know God has called me into relationship with himself, would you come down here just like that lady on Thursday night? Let us talk with you. Let us walk with you. Let us show you what this follower of Jesus thing looks like. Get some people around you to show you and to encourage you in your new friendship with God. For others of you who are believers, maybe you are here today and you just need to have a simple prayer of confession to God. God, I've missed the whole thing. I've been so focused on what I do that I've missed being. I've been so focused on all the externals in my life that I've missed the very purpose of what you've called me to, which is a relationship. So God, help me. Help me with this prayer of confession, but then Lord, help me for a plan of action. Help me not just leave this moment, but help me leave different, leave changed. Tomorrow morning, God, lead me to a place where I open the word of God and I get my face in it and I say, teach me, Lord. Maybe for others, you have things in your life that you'd love prayer for, financial, family, whatever it is. We love an opportunity. Our pastors can come now to pray for our church in whatever way he is leading you to be prayed for. So however God is moving, would we respond in obedience? Jesus, you're good to us, Lord. I pray right now as we sing this song, there would be a heart of surrender all around the room laying down our lives, laying down our agendas, laying down our wills. For those that need to come to salvation, Lord, thank you that you're calling them. Would they just turn around and say yes? For those that need to get with you, Lord, on whatever it is that they're walking in through in life, Lord, would you just meet people where they are by your spirit right now? We trust you. We love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.